Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast of the teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We believe that the gospel really is good news, that the blood of Jesus worked, and that Jesus meant it when he said, It is finished. In Christ, we are dead to sin and alive to God, forgiven and free, clean and close, holy and beloved, blessed and made new. If God is doing something special in your life, we would love for you to tell us about it. You can simply email us at info at lifejourneyva.com. One of the reasons we are able to provide these weekly podcasts is because of the generosity of people like you. If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com. And so I get excited when I get to learn about new things. I kind of, I have an addictive spirit, and my wife will tell you, when I discover a new band or something, I just, it's all I listen to. Or if I discover a new song, that's all I listen to. Or um, if I get hooked into a book, which isn't very often. Like I said, I'm a math teacher. I can't really put it down. Um, and so I kind of went after this passage and was just really getting into it. And I was thinking, am I like out of my mind? Is this this awesome? Is this really just me losing it and looking into this way too hard? And so I figured, well, I better look at YouTube and see if I'm at least on the same page as some other people that have letters after their name. And the first person I watched said, if you're going to preach on Jesus being anointed with oil, this is literally what he said. He said, it's kind of boring. There's not a whole lot there. Um, If you're going to fill 15 minutes of a sermon, you might want to go to Amazon and buy some of this stuff so you could at least fill half of it with show and tell or something. And I was like, okay, that's not very helpful. Like, here I am with all the stuff I thought was cool. And I was like, well, okay, next YouTube video. Maybe the next one will be good. So the next guy gets going and talking for about 10 minutes, talking about the historicity of things. And he goes 10 minutes, and everything's going great. I'm like, all right, I agree with everything so far. I guess I'm on the same page. And then he gets to the point where he says, and the whole point of this story is that when you give to God, it's got to cost you something. And then I said, okay, I'm done with this too. So (laughs) I'm just going out on a leap of faith. Um, And you can tell me I'm wrong if you want. That will not be the first time that has happened. Um, But I'm just going to tell you what struck me as kind of amazing about this passage over the past three weeks that I was digging into it. First, what I want to do is just kind of read it head to toe, and then we'll start getting into it. So while he was in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper and reclining at the table, there came a woman with an alabaster vial, a very costly perfume of pure nard. And she broke the vial and put it over his head. But some were indignantly remarking to one another, why has this perfume been wasted? For this perfume might have been sold for over 300 denarii and the money given to the poor. And they were scolding her. But Jesus said, let her alone. Why do you bother her? She has has done a good deed to me. For you always have the poor with you. And whenever you wish, you can do good to them. But you do not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for the burial. Truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be spoken of her in memory. When I was reading that, I was not really intending to develop a sermon on this, but I was curious as to what was so important about what this woman did Um, that Jesus said 
she would be remembered whenever the gospel of him was preached. Um, I have a feeling, based on what we've learned through Paul's teachings and the writings of Hebrews, that the takeaway isn't, if you're going to give to God, you better give like this. It's got to cost you something. I'm pretty sure Paul would have walked in a room and smacked some faces around, right? So, what I started doing was just kind of going through the history of this thing and trying to do some research. We read this out of Mark chapter 14. And what we need to understand is who's actually writing these events. This is John Mark. He actually wasn't one of the 12 disciples, but rather, rather a missionary alongside Peter and Paul in the formation of the early church. Mark's gospel was actually probably one of the first ones written. Um, he had a very clear agenda when he was writing this. He was succinct. He was to the point. Um, Mark is a really, really short gospel, and uh, sometimes we feel like, oh, he missed a bunch of stuff. Um, but I think that he puts in what he puts in to convince the oppressed Christians in Rome that their Lord was indeed the Messiah and that they could be confident in his deity and power. Okay, so what we probably know about this scene um, from other gospels is that this is really Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus, who has done this. And we have this beautiful picture of, of her bending down and washing his feet with her hair. Mark doesn't mention any of that. Um, and why is that? I was, I was curious. The Gospel of John puts this event the day before Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Um, Mark seems to skip around. I had a really hard time trying to figure out where to place this chronologically. Um, Mark places this right before he starts to mention Judas and his plot to betray Jesus because he probably thought this was the launching point of what would have caused Judas's betrayal tendencies. Um, either way, whether this is the day before the entry or this is kind of where um, Mark has placed it, I tend to lean towards John because John in the very next chapter says, on the next day, Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. We know that um, we are definitely approaching the death of Jesus. Uh, large crowds have traveled to Jerusalem for the Passover, and typically what would happen is that Jews all over um, the area would travel in um, to Jerusalem about a week prior to Passover uh, to go through the ceremony of becoming clean for the Passover, um, which is probably what the whole scene last week that we looked at um, with the merchant table set up in the, in the temple where they were exchanging money. That's probably because there was a whole sea of people that were there wanting to make their sacrifices and become clean before Passover. And what would happen was um, there was just this sea of people, and at this point, a week or so before Jesus' death, um, the word of Jesus was really getting out there. Um, the religious elite were not big fans, but the people that had been following Jesus were kind of curious. Is Jesus actually going to show up on the scene here? Um, the, the religious elite, the priests, they were plotting, should we kill him? We want him out of here, but now with all of this sea of people here ready for the Passover, maybe we should wait. We don't really want to make a riot, even though we think that this would be the best thing um, for us at the moment. They couldn't really be sure how the people would react um, to a plot to betray Jesus or to kill Jesus because he had quite a massive following at this point. This event that we read also takes place soon after Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. Another gospel account even describes that the chief priest wanted Lazarus killed um, because word was spreading of how he had been raised up to life again. I didn't actually realize that, that uh, they didn't just want Jesus dead, but they wanted this Lazarus guy dead because... If Jesus is walking around raising people from the dead, that's not good. 
Well, I mean, it's good. It's not good for the priests and their agenda, right? But Jesus was becoming popular, and he was creating some tension in the religious community, to say the least. And so now here we are, the night before Jesus' triumphal entry in Bethany. So we'll pick up again here in Mark 14. While he was in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper and reclining at the table. I wanted to know if Bethany had anything important to it. I I looked up um, the history of the word Bethany and how that town acquired its name. Bethany, um, I read, and there was a lot of like contradiction as to what it meant, but the overarching theme um, was pretty evident that Bethany either meant the house of misery or it could have been translated as the poor house or the house of affliction or the house of poverty. So Bethany think this is like known for being a place um, that took care of the poor and the sick. Um, It's often affiliated with the care for the unwell, and there was actually an almshouse that was popular in the town. And this would make sense because, remember, if you're a Jew, a devout Jew, and you're traveling from the south up to Jerusalem, in between is Samaria, and the Jews were not big fans of that. So what they would do is they would go the long way around um, all the Samaritan people, And they would enter in from the east of Jerusalem through Bethany. And so Bethany would typically be the last stop um, before Jerusalem for any Jewish pilgrims trying to make their way to the holy city, um, going around Samaria. And it shouldn't be surprising that there was a hospice set up to take care of these weary travelers, travelers and the sick and destitute from the Jerusalem area. This account in John actually has Lazarus himself also reclining at the table with Jesus. Um, In John, we're led to believe that Jesus has very recently, I think in the chapter prior, raised Lazarus from the dead. Um, This would either be a dinner um, that was set up in celebration of Lazarus being raised from the dead, or because people were so excited that Jesus is actually on the scene, they were kind of doubting with all of the tension and all the crowds at Passover. Um, We weren't really sure if he was going to make it. Um, So this could have been a dinner that was either put on as a celebration of Lazarus being raised or, hey, Jesus is here, let's celebrate. And it wasn't, it wasn't a foreign idea for someone to throw a party for someone else, but have it at someone else's house, like at Simon the leper's house. And there came a woman with an alabaster vial, a very costly perfume of pure nard, and she broke the vial and poured it over his head. Now, I know that we're reading this out of Mark, and I kind of keep hopping back to John. You might ask why I'm not reading this out of John. Um, There's a point, I promise. It's not just the math major in me that doesn't know how to read. Some might disagree with that, though. Um, From the Gospel of John, we actually know that this woman is Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus. However, what if Mark didn't name her specifically for a reason? What if his reason was to convince the Roman Christians that were reading his letter that this encounter was far more about Jesus than it was about Mary. Let's read this through the lens that Mary might might remain unnamed here because this story isn't actually about her. Um, If you recall, Walt preached about Peter walking on the water um, and didn't ever mention Peter because that story was really about Jesus as far as what Mark had portrayed. Let's let's read this through the lens that maybe this story isn't so much about Mary um, as it is about Jesus. Now, this pure nard Um, If you go back a verse, this pure nard that was poured over Jesus' head. This was a really special essential oil. 
And it comes from this plant called the spikenard plant, which was native to India's famous Himalaya mountains. Um, so imagine in Bible times, um, you know, we have all these Disney movies that will fly drones over the Himalayas and like, that doesn't seem like such a feat to go up there anymore these days. That's been conquered. But imagine in Bible times, in Jesus' day, people traveling to this region where the plant grows some 10,000 to 16,000 feet in elevation. So they'd make that travel to get to the plant, and then they'd have to take the plant, and the extraction process was really a bunch of work. They'd have to crush the roots down and distill that material until this, like, amber-colored, very, very intensely aromatic oil was left. Um, This was not cheap stuff, okay? Uh, This oil was a favorite perfume of the day because the oil held on to any like additional scents or additives really well. Like they, they said it was awesome because if you put something else in it, it just clung to it great. Um, if you used it as a perfume, it would stick with you like all day because it was just really, really effective and intense oil. The very best spikenard of the day would have been imported from India in alabaster containers. Where did this oil come from according to Mark? It came from an alabaster vial. So this is the good stuff, right? It was incredibly expensive um, because of all the travel and all of the extraction process um, used to make it. And now remember that Mark chooses to describe where this oil was placed um, differently than what John does. Make a mental note of where Mark reports that the oil was poured. In John's account... I'm sure we're all familiar that Mary pours the oil over Jesus' feet and washes his feet with her hair. However, Mark says that it was poured over his head. I don't think this is a contradiction. I think that, pardon the pun, head to toe, he was covered with this stuff. But Mark is making a point of his deity, of his messianic role, and being anointed with oil on the head has something really important and vital to it. And we'll come back to that in a little bit. So just hold on to that mental note, that Having the anointing be on his head is crucial as we wrap this up. We're told in John that the beautiful fragrance actually filled the house. And this isn't my main point of this morning, but I thought this was just too cool not to throw in there. Remember that like a day or so prior, um, Lazarus had been raised from the dead. And does anyone remember in that account when he, when he, when Jesus comes and he weeps because Lazarus is dead, he was his friend, and he says, all right, take me to the tomb, and he says, open up the door. Does anyone remember the word that was attributed to that scene? I think Mary or Martha says, oh, are you sure you want to do that? He's been dead four days. There will be a terrible stench. And who's sitting at the table with Jesus now? The same guy that was dead for four days, reeking, is reclining at the table with this beautiful fragrance filling the room. Um, Awesome. So this word stench was affiliated with Lazarus. But now Lazarus, in that very resurrection scene, this is where Jesus says, when he's raising Lazarus from the dead, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And anyone who believes in me will never die. So look at the current scene. Lazarus, who has been dead and rotting, creating a stench for four days, is now reclining at the dinner table with Jesus, where this fragrance of incredible perfume was filling the room. This is awesome to me. Like, this is such an amazing picture of the life 
and the beauty that Jesus brings. I mean, Jesus is the antithesis of death. Jesus is life. And so here we come to the next verse. But some were indignantly remarking to one another, Why has this perfume been wasted? For this perfume might have been sold for over 300 denarii and the money given to the poor. And so remember, they're in Bethany. They're in this place that's known for the destitute and the beggars and the people that can't take care of themselves. They're certainly surrounded every day by people in desperation and need. And we are told that this thing was worth 300 denarii. So remember, I think it was maybe a couple weeks ago, we talked about what a denarius was actually worth. A denarius was a day's wages. So if you went out and worked in Roman times, you would get that coin, the denarius. That was worth one day's work. Now, if they're saying over 300 denarii, I did the math in my head because it was like, oh, math problem, sweet. Um, but it was kind of depressing because I was doing it on my teacher's salary. Uh, I, was, I was cutting it into what I was paid every day, and then I was like, ah, oh, I won't bore them with that terrible, terrible, sad news. But um, in general, in general, for today's society, that vial of perfume that she broke and put all over his head and feet would have been the worth, worth the same amount today as about $30,000 to $50,000. So again, I, just, I really don't think that the takeaway here is that if we're not doing that, then we're doing it wrong. I think it's showing like how awesome Jesus is and look at this devotion but it's bigger than like giving a whole year's worth of salary to Jesus in the course of five minutes. I think that there's just so much more meat here. The oil that Mary poured over Jesus' head would have taken a year's worth of work to earn. That's amazing to me. But again, I think it says more about who Jesus is, the object of this affection, than Mary, the one giving the affection. We also find in other gospel accounts that the main objector, the person raising his voice and kind of complaining about all of this, was actually Judas. Um, Judas was actually in charge of the disciples' money. He was kind of their treasure. He walked around with the money purse and the money box. Um, and he was probably hiding his anger over this act um, with a false plea to help the poor. He's probably just like boiling inside because he realized that, like, this is kind of ridiculous. Why, why would you do this for Jesus? Um, other commentaries kind of said, I won't, won't chase this rabbit trail for long, um, that Mark probably puts this there because Mark sees this as kind of the, the launching point of Judas's betrayal mission because Judas is now starting to see that Jesus's um, like role as the Messiah isn't what he and his Jewish mind thought it was going to be because the Jews thought the Messiah was going to come and be this conquering king to basically end Roman rule and now create like a, a reign of um, the Jewish tradition. Um, and as Judas is following Jesus around, he's really like, this is a lot more meek and mild than what I kind of signed up for. And so seeing a year's worth of money poured out in an instant, um, he's starting to realize that this is not what he thought it was going to be. And so they were scolding her. But Jesus said, let her alone, leave her alone. Why do you bother her? She's done a good deed to me. For you can always have the poor with you. And wherever you wish, you can do good to them. But you do not always have me. Now, many might read this and come away with a feeling that Jesus is discouraging giving to the poor. Um, I just really don't think that that's the case. Uh, remember that where they are. They're in Bethany. They're surrounded by it. 
This is a town filled with poor and needy people. There's a constant flow of people in and out of this almshouse in the town. And it's commonplace to have the destitute residing there. Jesus is simply making a statement to everyone in the room that the poor will always be around, but you're not always going to have me. I am the Son of God. I am the Savior. I am in your midst. Open your eyes and focus on this. Right? He's asking them to realize the grandeur of his deity and his messianic role, which was about to be fulfilled. Jesus has always encouraged giving to the poor and taking care of those in need. He's not contradicting himself here. He's simply stressing the importance of him. And he wants those around him to see it. Because everything's about to come to a head here. When he marches into Jerusalem, it's, it's game time. It's go time. Uh, the reason he was born of a virgin and raised under the law and fulfilled the law is now all coming to a head. Like, Jesus the man and the redemption of the world are about to meet. Right? It's coming. He says that she has done what she could, and she has anointed my body beforehand for the burial. Truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be spoken in memory of her. Now this is where I kind of deviate from everything that I've realized about this passage before. This is where I was kind of thinking I was out of my mind and better check because I'd never kind of recognized or seen any of this before. So entertain me for a moment. Um, I could be completely out of my mind ludicrous, but I thought this was too cool. This is where things get interesting. Let's look at a couple of things about what he says here. He says that his body has been prepared beforehand for the burial. You don't bury alive things, do you? There's no burial without a death. And we all know, I hope, that Jesus' death was actually a sacrifice. So he's saying that she's prepared him for something that will take him through his sacrifice. Okay, let's look at that. Under the old covenant, there were different types of sacrifices. There was a hierarchy of sacrifices, depending on who was giving it and actually what it was for. And I found this really awesome chart um, that had like all the different types of sacrifices that you would do in the temple Here's what you would use. Here's who was giving it. Here would what, here's what was left over, and here's what it was like for. It just I'm a visual person. That made it easy for me. But there are all these different types of sacrifices. A grain offering was a voluntary act of worship and a recognition of God's goodness. And what would happen is that grain or flour would be mixed with oil, as I understood it, and it would be offered up as a burnt offering. And if the priest was the one offering this grain offering, it would be burnt up in its entirety. There would be nothing left over. Oh, this gets good. Okay. I hope I'm not the only one being giddy about this, but this is too cool. Remember that Mark focuses on the head of Jesus being anointed. And this is what's cool. In Old Testament times, when a king or a priest was anointed, the anointing was to set him apart for God's purposes and God's work. And their heads were anointed with oil. And what was oil? Oil was a symbol of God's holiness and purity. Like oil was important. Oil wasn't to be mixed with a bunch of stuff because oil was the symbol of like this pure and holy God. This is what they used to symbolize that. Okay? So symbolically, I'm not sure that Mary really knew this is what she was doing, but symbolically, Mary putting this all over his head might have been an anointing of Jesus as our great high priest 
who's about to go and offer up a grain offering as the bread of life. Remember, grain was to be mixed with oil and burnt up completely. So here's the bread of life being doused head to toe with this year's worth of salary oil, anointed as our great high priest, and to go give this sacrifice, this grain offering, which was what? This wasn't for sin. This was just devotion to God, a pleasing and worship-filled act. That to me is so cool. So Jesus, the bread of life, is going to hang on the cross and be what? Completely, completely and entirely burnt up as what? Just simply a pleasing and worship-filled act displaying the goodness of God. But we also know at least what we've been told more and more and more and more, I'm not saying this is false, it's just this is what we focus on, is that Jesus was actually a sin offering for the redemption of the world. Now what's cool about this is that there's even a hierarchy here. When a sin offering was made, different animals were used depending on whom the sacrifice was for. So if the high priest, the great high priest was going in to make a sacrifice for his sin, what would he use? That would require a bull. If it was for a leader in the Jewish community, you would need a male goat. And does anybody have any idea what you might think served as the sin offering for just the common person? A lamb. So in the hierarchy of sacrifices for people, Jesus is called the Lamb of God, the sacrifice for the common man. Remember that oil was a symbol of God's purity and holiness. And oil according to the rules, according to the commandments, was never allowed to be a part of a sin offering because of what it stood for. So if you're going to make a sin offering, if you're going to atone for sin and slaughter an animal, oil is not to be a part of that because oil represents the holiness and purity of God. So oil is used as thanksgiving, as a sign of devotion, as a sign of like pleasing the Lord, um, but it's not to be mixed with a sin offering. But what do we have? We have the pure the spotless, the holy Lamb of God, preparing for his final days before the cross, who actually is now covered head to toe in oil. I think it's even magnifying the fact that this is the one and only, the holy sin sacrifice um, to take away the sin of the world. So now picture Jesus hanging on the cross. Okay? Um, it's just, if anyone's seen the Passion of the Christ... I don't know, it's, it's hard to walk away from that and not be thankful, right? But picture Jesus hanging on the cross. He's been whipped. His back has been laid wide open. He's bloody. He's sweaty. He's been scourged. He's got a crown of thorns on his head, piercing into the scalp that was anointed with the oil. He has nails in his feet, piercing through the feet that were wiped clean with the oil. And I don't know about you, but every once in a while I'll you know, I'll put on cologne and later in the day I'll just like catch a whiff of that and be like, "Oh, I kind of forgot I had that on me," right? It kind of lingers with you. It stays with you. You'll catch a whiff of it every once in a while. And remember that Jesus has said that his body was prepared beforehand for the burial. Right? So this stuff, according to Jesus' words, was there to linger until he was put in the tomb. 
So even up there, covered in sweat and blood, pierced, is this aroma that filled the room, this fragrant aroma that was pleasing to God, this oil and grain sacrifice. What a symbol to us that Jesus' sacrifice on our account, on our behalf, wasn't just this perfect sin sacrifice, but it was actually this thing that was pleasing and a wonderful act of worship to God. I'd never really seen that before. I'd always thought it was just, he was a lamb led to the slaughter. But here he is also, the bread of life, covered in this oil, meant to be this pleasing, worship-filled sacrifice to the Lord. Now, here's what else was really cool. I was reading this in the morning before school, and I, I ran upstairs as I was getting ready, and I kind of woke my wife over this. I said, oh, man, did you ever know this? Like, what? Did you know about this? And she was like, yeah, that's cool. And just kind of like rolled back over. But I thought this was amazing. I hope she doesn't feel bad that I put her on the spot there with that one. I'm the morning person in the family, though. Um, Does anyone remember what the women were going to the tomb to do when they found the body wasn't there? Does anyone recall what they were there to do? They weren't just kind of walking and singing songs. They were going to the tomb for a mission. The two women were actually going to the tomb to anoint Jesus' body with spices. And they found him not there. This is so cool. They were headed to the tomb to put spices on the body of Jesus. That's incredible to me. Because the day before his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, what did he say? He said that this woman who put the oil on me, that prepared me for the burial. He says that his body beforehand was already prepared. What does that mean? I think it means that Jesus wasn't planning on being dead long. He didn't see the need for any additional preparation to keep his body fresher for longer. His plan from the beginning of time was to defeat sin, defeat death, and rise again. I can almost like, I don't think Jesus was a cocky person by any stretch, but I can kind of see him sitting at the table being like, this is going to do. This will work. I don't need, don't show up with the spices. I'm not planning on being in the tomb very long. You don't need to worry about how I'm smelling. This will take care of it. The wisdom of God. The plan from eternity past was to offer up this perfect sin sacrifice to conquer sin and death by returning to life. And one single anointing of oil a week prior to the cross was actually going to be enough to tie Jesus' body over until he rose again. I just ran upstairs and I told my wife, I was like, did you know that? I just, oh, I got so excited about that. The plan from the beginning was that people wouldn't need to be tending after his body. It wasn't going to be there. This is so good. And this brings me to my last point. The triumph of Jesus. Do we really know how awesome it is? Do we really know that it's even ours? We are beneficiaries and partakers of Jesus' triumph. And look at what Paul has to say to the Corinthians. Um, In 2 Corinthians, Paul is writing... Um, kind of sad because he can't get back to them. Um, his, his travels have uh, taken him to a different place and he can't come back to the Corinthians like he planned on doing. But he's writing them and just reminding them of his credentials that, you know, what I've told you is true and you can be sure that it's true because it's been written on your hearts and you're actually ministers of this new covenant now. Um, but he's writing this, this letter to them um, alongside Timothy as they're spreading the gospel throughout the world. Now, when he says we here, 
when he says we, he might be talking about just he and Timothy. And I don't think that it's blasphemy to also insert we in this as well. Because we are also messengers of a new covenant. We are messengers to spread this news around the world. But let's think and let's read through here what Paul is saying. But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. For we are the fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, an aroma from death to death. To the other, an aroma from life to life. Now there's a lot to unpack here, and I know we're kind of running short on time. I won't take too much time. But Paul is, Paul is describing this triumph in Christ as ours. We are the manifestations of this triumph in Christ. And what does he describe it as? He describes our words and our message and our lifestyle as this fragrance to the world, this fragrance, um, this sweet aroma, the knowledge of him spreading around. And when Paul says triumph, he's writing to people who would have known all about a Roman triumph march. Okay? These celebrations would occur when Rome had made a military conquest. They would have conquered a group or a nation um, and emerged the victors. And the march would have led like this. Okay, the march would have led like this. The conquered soldiers and their families and their leaders would all be marched out in front, bound in chains. And so you've got, you've got the Roman communities like huddled around the roads and marching through all of these people would have been the conquered soldiers and their families and their leaders all chained up and bound up. What was happening is that those conquered people would typically be led to their execution or sold into slavery. So that's not ending well for them, right? Next in line would have been the senators and the magistrates and other high-ranking Romans there to celebrate. And there would have also been people swinging censers around. So when I say censer, does everybody kind of know what I'm talking about? Those kind of golden jars, I guess, for lack of a better word, that had these kind of like grills on the top, and they'd swing them around on these chains, and you could smell the fragrance and the incense coming out of these things, okay? Last in line would have been the Roman leader, dressed in royal regalia and riding behind a horse-drawn chariot. And typically they said these chariots would have been um, led by like four horses. So you've got the conquered people, You've got some more important Romans. You've got people swinging these censers that are allowing this fragrance to follow the march. And then behind all that comes the king, okay? To the captive groups that were watching this, this smell would not have been pleasant, right? This is the smell of defeat. This is the smell of them being marched off to their death and sold into slavery, right? But if you're one of the Romans on the side of the street, what comes to your mind when you've got this smell accompanying the king as he's marching these conquered people groups to their death? I mean, that's the symbol of conquest and victory, right? It depends what side of the, the battle you're on. This smell is either good or bad. And Paul is saying to, that Timothy and he, along with any other Christian, I believe, are the fragrance of Christ to the world. When we preach the true gospel of Christ... We are a sweet smell of victory to those who have new life in him. I mean, when you hear about the grace of God, doesn't that remind you that your sin and your death has been 
taken away? Doesn't it remind you that your king is the victor? That he reigns? However, because the gospel is the message of Christ and Christ alone for the redemption of mankind, this is the smell of defeat for those who refuse to believe, for those living in their sin, living in their death. Now here's what I want us to imagine. I don't know if you're the kind of person that likes to close their eyes or not. But if it helps to close your eyes, picture this with me. We're told that this anointing of Jesus with this oil that filled the room happened the night before his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Now we all know about his triumphal entry. He came riding on a donkey, dressed in carpenter's clothes, um, He had a few people out there celebrating and singing and laying palm leaves down. There wasn't this people group that had been conquered. There wasn't this regal attire. There wasn't a four-horse drawn chariot. But think about what's happening in the spiritual realm. And this is what I found fascinating. In the spiritual realm, imagine the line. Imagine the march. I picture sin and death, and addiction, and shame, and separation from God, all chained together, marching with their heads held low. Because in a matter of days, they're going to be put to death. And what's awesome about this is that Jesus doesn't have this crowd of magistrates and senators and Roman officials surrounding him. It's Jesus alone emanating his own fragrance that was poured out over him just the night before. So here comes Jesus in the spiritual realm, in my mind, marching sin and death and shame and separation from God, marching it to its death. He knows what awaits. And the smell that would have walked through the streets is the smell of victory over sin and death. This is the triumph that we all get to share. His victory is our victory. His conquest is our conquest. And my question today is, do we realize it? Do we claim it? Your sin and death was marched to its death when Jesus marched into Jerusalem. Addiction and shame and separation of God was executed on the cross. His triumphal entry came as this meek and mild display of worship. But on the spiritual realm, it was filled with conquest and victory and absolute reign. Jesus was set apart. He was anointed as our king, as our high priest. Set apart to be our victor over sin and death. And he's asked us to join with him in his triumph. And this brings me to our journey marker for this week. And it's just a question this week. Are you experiencing the triumph of Christ? Because here's what would happen, I think. I think in Rome, when, when the Roman general came through, all of those Roman people celebrated. They, they felt that victory was theirs. Christ's victory on the cross wasn't just for Christ. He's invited us to share in his triumph. Have you shared in Christ's death? And have you been raised again in Christ's life? If you've been redeemed, but you aren't living in victory, what's stopping you? Because sin no longer separates. Death no longer has dominion. 
Jesus marched it to its death. There's literally nothing standing in the way of us embracing and sharing in the triumph of our Lord. That's what he wants for us. He wants you to experience his conquest here on earth and to be the fragrance of Christ to all around us. My hope is that the way I live my life, the way that I, the way that I treat my wife, the way that I raise my son, the way that I treat my students, even though I'm not allowed to say it out loud at a public high school, I would hope that God in me would be the fragrance of the conquest of Christ to the world. I mean, it's, it's too good. The Lamb of God, the sacrifice for the common man, at the same exact point as he was taking away the sin of the world, was offering an aromatic, praise, worshipful, devotion-filled sacrifice to the Lord. And the oil poured out on him wasn't going to have to last long because he wasn't going to be dead long. And he simply asks that we join him. And as I was preparing this week, I, I was just listening to a bunch of hymns. And this one hit me this week, and I kept listening to it over and over. And I'm just going to read the words. This hymn is about the Comforter, the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit of God. Remember Jesus saying, I have to leave so that something far greater can come, right? Part of the triumph of Christ is that his work here on earth was done, and now we have the Spirit of God indwelling us. This is our triumph. And here are the words of this old hymn of the faith. Oh, spread the tidings round, wherever man is found, wherever human hearts and human woes abound. Let every Christian tongue proclaim the joyful sound, the Comforter has come. Lo, the great King of kings, with healing in his wings, to every captive soul, a full deliverance brings. And through the vacant cells, the song of triumph rings. The Comforter has come. O boundless love divine, how shall this tongue of mine to wandering mortals tell the matchless grace divine that once a child of hell should in his image shine. The Comforter has come. The Comforter has come. The Comforter has come. The Holy Ghost from heaven, the Father's promise given. Oh, spread the tidings round wherever man is found. The Comforter has come. As we leave today, I would just ask, are you experiencing the triumph of Christ? It's one thing to know it. I don't think that Jesus died and was raised from the dead so you would just know it. I think he did it so you could experience it. I don't think Jesus is a textbook thing that you can regurgitate on a multiple choice answer test. I think Jesus is the experience. What's great about it is that we don't really have to do anything to earn the experience. We don't have to work to be filled with Jesus. We trust, believe, and live by faith. And I would say, open your eyes every morning, just praying that the experience of the triumph of Christ would surround you wherever you go.
So as we usually do, um, that's all I have to say. What we're going to do, I guess, is open up the floor to any comments or questions. Um, if you have a question, I guess I'd ask that you keep it a math question because I'm really comfortable answering those. Um, I could be 100% wrong on all this. I just thought that that oil had some sort of importance, and I got digging into that. And the fact that Mary remained unnamed um, kind of led me to believe that we're not supposed to walk out the building thinking if I'm not giving a year's worth of my salary to Jesus that I'm doing it wrong. Um, I think it's all about Jesus. Is there anybody? What stuck out to me, Craig, was the death smell of Lazarus. And then he was now reclining in the room filled with the aroma. Man, what a picture. Thank you for bringing that out because I've never seen that before. The stench that we all once were in Adam and now because of an encounter with Christ, we are now, as Paul said, the fragrant aroma of Christ to God. Oh, man, that is that is so amazing of an aromatic or smelly picture. What's that word? A smelly picture, a picture that smells. That's so cool uh, of the stench and the pleasing aroma of the old man and the new man. The new man has come. Man, thank you so much. That was so, that blessed my heart, truly, brother. Thank you. Any other thoughts or comments or questions, additions, subtractions? I like those. Yeah. Yeah, John. Just one quick thought. Turned the television on before I come up here, and I was scrolling through some stuff this morning and come across something today, Dr. David Jeremiah. And I'm a little bit like Craig on this. I'm a little skeptical of, you know, different preachers because some of the stuff's good, and then you, anyhow, and then it gets to the part where, like you said, you know, I know that's enough of that. But anyway, long story short, <clears throat> he was speaking on God's love and how powerful it is, and can't do nothing to earn it. And I was like, you know, I don't follow David Jeremiah, so I don't really know nothing about it. But he was talking about what you can't do nothing to earn it. You can't do nothing to change it. He loves you regardless who you are, where you are, what, how you feel about yourself, so on and so forth. And when you said, are you experiencing the triumph of Christ, what he said to kind of close his thought out came to mind. His love never changes for us. He said, but our feelings get in the way of who what he has done for us and cause us to lose focus of who we are and I thought of that when you said that I said you know that I, I was just listening through it and it just kind of clicked in my mind you know that I just happened to be listening to something then come here and hear kind of the same thought and kind of explained in much more detail and I think for me that is a uh, tactic of Satan maybe mm-hmm. to keep your from experience the triumph of Christ by keeping you focused on whatever it might be, whether it's physical problems, finances. You know, Satan knows our weak points. For me, it might be one thing. For somebody else, it might be something else. But it doesn't change who you are. It just changes how you see yourself. And I think that is a a very stronghold of Satan. And I I, I was blessed by it this morning, how the Lord can kind of open your mind and then 
lead you through your day to kind of get your focus, you know, where it should be. Satan doesn't want you to have the triumph. He wants Jesus to be a textbook multiple choice answer. I was reminded of the uh, time as you were going through and talking about being anointed from the top to the bottom. I think it was at the time when Jesus was washing the feet uh, of the disciples that Peter said uh, something to the effect that you wash my feet, I should be washing your feet. And then Jesus said something to the effect of if I don't wash you, you have no part of what I'm about. And then Peter says, well, if that's the case, why not the head and the hands too, or something to that effect. Kind of a natural reaction for Peter in the middle of what Jesus was about. And, um, and I was just thinking, what's the significance of this? Except that what I got out of it was that if we have been touched by Jesus, we have been touched from head to toe. So if there's any doubt about how you got to know Jesus, I've heard of religious organizations that make a difference whether you were baptized backwards or forwards. Or what I get from this is if you've been touched by Jesus, you are thoroughly cleansed by him. Craig, mm -hmm. Lord bless you, brother. Um, I, I'm not sure. I guess we're all at a different place in our Christian experience, but the illustration of leading us in triumph the way you did, um, how often I've allowed myself to think that I'm the prisoner, and we're already the victor in Christ. All that stuff that we allow sometimes to make us think we're a prisoner. We're, we have victory over through him. And we have this defeated mentality. It's such a trick of the evil one. But anyway, thank you for that. And I, I'm not sure how anybody couldn't want a piece of that. <laughs> and may God give us the grace to live in that mentality on a daily basis, moment by moment, as, if necessary. But anyhow, thank you for that, and thank the Lord for that. But um, what a beautiful word picture. And, and the, the thought of the aroma, you know, I don't, I don't think we think too often about the power of aroma, but there are certain smells that, that, that create a powerful memory. Um, it, it's just interesting. I remember walking in a room after my mother had passed away one time where her, some of her things were, and that, the smell was just over, overpowering almost. And I think if we could have maybe some, something similar to that that we could associate our Christian victory in Christ with, that maybe some mental picture or just remembering the fact that we are victors. We're not trying to be victorious. We already are because of him.
Thank you. Thank you. the mic. <laughs> Anybody else for the order of good? Dr. Compley, could I put you on the spot? Would you mind closing us out in a hymn of your favorite choosing as we perhaps close our eyes and just our, uh, reflect upon the love of the Lord for us? Would that be all right? I should have asked you, I apologize. But you can't say no now. This is Craig's dad. Thank you, sir. I invite you all to sing this. Uh, let's do the first verse of Jesus Paid It All. I hear the Savior say, my strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as Let's stand and close in prayer. Father, we are so grateful. Man, thank you for Craig this morning. Thank you for showing him through your spirit some amazing, not just book knowledge. We're not interested in book knowledge. The Pharisees searched the scriptures and they didn't find Jesus. We don't want to just have knowledge of facts. We want to get to know a person. We want to get to know the one who lives in us, who died for us, but he also did something to us. We just sang that sin had left a crimson stain, but sin had left a putrid stench. And Jesus has not just washed it white as snow, but Jesus has now given us and made us now a fragrant aroma the aroma of life father i just we've heard the testimony of the saints whether it be john or mark and i'm sure all of us can testify to this that so often we feel there's that feel word we feel like we're still the stench we feel like we're still the crimson stain but God that's not the truth the truth that sets us free is the fact that we have been created a new man a new woman in Christ Jesus 
Yes, we once were sinner. Yeah. But we are now saint. We were washed. We were sanctified. We were justified by the blood of Jesus Christ. So, Father, I pray that you would, we often talk about peeling back and so that we could see a little bit better who we now are in Christ. But, Father, our prayer this morning is that we could smell a little bit more of what we now smell in Christ. Thank you. As the spring is coming and the flowers are budding and the smell of spring hits us, Father, may that remind us today, tomorrow, when Tuesday comes and when Wednesday comes of this great reality. It's not just a a thought. It's a reality. And may our minds be set on that reality. We thank you for Jesus. All glory to him. This is all his doing, all his work. He is the victorious king who has set the captives free. And we seek to walk in that freedom, in that victory, experiencing the triumph of Christ. Thank you for this morning. I needed it. We all, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you again for listening to today's podcast of the teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We'd love to hear from you. If God is doing something special in your life, let us know by sending an email to info at lifejourneyva.com. Feel free to pass today's teaching on to any friends and family that you'd like, but please don't change any of it or charge for it. This podcast is made available for free as a ministry of Life Journey Church. If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com. Have a great day.